welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast. In season five, we're talking all about the intersection of care and social justice. Today's episode is one of a two-part series about persons who are incarcerated, why and how we should care, and how redemption is possible. I interview Brian Kelly, CEO of the Prison Entrepreneurship Program, who shares his remarkable story that will give you insight, hope, and encouragement. The criminal justice system is built on systemic racism impoverished, failing communities, broken educational systems, and many times for-profit prison facilities. According to a publication in 2021 by Dr. Ashley Nellis, she says Black Americans are incarcerated in state prisons across the country at nearly five times the rate of whites, and Latinx people are 1.3 times as likely to be incarcerated than non-Latinx whites. This is a social justice issue that requires our attention and care. Now, I don't want to give anything away. You'll learn of Brian's story shortly, and you'll learn how he now works tirelessly for others to experience rehabilitation, redemption, and success after failure. All this is possible because people like you and me care. This, my friends, is the gospel in action. Established in 2004, the Prison Entrepreneurship Program, or PEP for short, is an independent 501c3 nonprofit organization. They have pioneered innovative programs that connect the nation's top executives, local business people, everyday citizen entrepreneurs, and MBA students with convicted felons. Their entrepreneurship boot camp and re-entry programs are proven solutions for preventing recidivism, maximizing self-sufficiency, and transforming broken lives. Friends, I hope this conversation is informative and gets you thinking about the ways you care outside the walls of the church. How do you care in your community and care for issues that intersect with social justice? Take a listen to part one and then tune in next week for part two. Welcome, Brian. I'm so glad to have you on today's episode. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Joy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am such a huge fan of Prison Entrepreneurship Program, and we're going to call that PEP for short. Hey, man, <laughs> that's the mouthful, yes. Um, I'm such a fan, and I've been so blessed to participate in this excellent organization. And so I'm excited for people to hear more about your story and why you're passionate about this, and then also how you became CEO. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing uh, story, pretty amazing journey. Well, it has been, and I'll just say God is good. And um, I, I'm so inspired by what I get to do every day. I get to see transformations happen all around me. I get to see God's hand uh, at work. And, and there are times when he even allows me to be his feet and hands. And so yes. I'm just honored to, to be a part of that. Amen. Well, I'm so excited for people to learn about this. And this um, this season is all about the intersection of care and social justice. And so prison reform, redemption, uh, justice work, 
um, in our communities is so important. And so I wonder if you'll just take us back to the beginning. Um, how, tell us about your story. How, um, how has this journey led you uh, to where you are today? Well, you know, I'm honored to be CEO of PP. I've been in that position for about four years. I've been on staff for eight years um, and just, uh, I don't know, it's just been amazing. Uh, I was introduced to the program in 2007. At that time, I was recruited to be a peer educator. Uh, and so somewhat of a spoiler alert, I'm not only the CEO, I'm also a graduate of the program. Mm -hmm. I did nearly 22 years in prison, Joy, um, uh, the fruits of a godless life that uh, that led me to prison. Unfortunately, I, I took the life of a man, a friend of mine, uh, in a drug deal gone horribly wrong uh, in Dallas in 1991, was sentenced to life in prison in 1992. And uh, uh, wow, uh, you know, what, a, what a drastic change that was for me. And I didn't, at that time, I didn't know if I would ever get out of prison. I didn't know um, if my life would ever mean anything. I, you know, I felt like uh, when I went in that I, uh, I internally, this is kind of the words I had internally that, you know, I'm a cancer on the face of society, that one that needs removing. And I got that. I was, I was suicidal when I went in. I'd already been homicidal uh, and I was just miserable. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I look back at that time now and it seems so low uh, but I recognize I wasn't arrested so much as I was rescued. Wow. Wow. Was that that you imposed on yourself or do you feel like society put that on you of, you know, you know, throw them in prison, lock them up. We don't want to, we don't want to see them anymore. Like, where did you, where did you, where did those feelings come from? Well, you know, I, um, there was certainly some of that, but I think I earned it. Right. I earned society to look at me like that. Matter of fact, I'll take you back to a, a kind of scene that, uh, that I remember. Well, I remember standing in the, in the courtroom in Dallas and, and and I was I was hardly even breathing because I felt mm -hmm. like it was bringing too much attention, hate and condemnation and just leers were all around me. And the jury, the uh, the whole um, uh, court staff, uh, everybody, it looked like. Uh, was just, you know, just ladling condemnation on me. And, and, uh, and finally, the judge looked at me over his glasses and he said, Mr. Kelly, a jury of your peers has found you guilty of the crime of murder and has sentenced you to life in the state penitentiary. Do you have anything to say for yourself? Enjoy, golly, I just stood there trembling and my mind, my life was flashing before my eyes. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, uh, uh, what can I say? What is there to say? Even crocodile tears or, or even tears at that time would have been viewed as crocodile tears. And so mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking back at, at my life and growing up in a broken home. My mm -hmm. father abandoned us. I, I came from a zip code that uh, doesn't really produce uh, overachievers, right? And I'm certainly in the bottom half of that and single parent um, and mom working basically for minimum wage. Uh, most of my upbringing, uh, a lot of alcoholism around me and just struggling with life and, and, and purpose and meaning, not having a man lean into me and really show me what being a man looks like. And so 
uh, man, it was just difficult upbringing, no direction, no discipline. Uh, one of the things I discovered in, in junior high and then high school is I drank and partied really well. So drugs, alcohol, sex, all those things came to mean life for me. And so I was finding life in the imitation that the world has to offer. Mm. And it seemed like that was the only thing I really did good. And so I did that more and more and more. And, and my life was just a continual spiral downward uh, that ended up in just my nadir that I had taken the life of that guy uh, over an ounce of Coke. Uh, in 1991. And, and shortly thereafter, I just I despised the person I had become. Mm. I remember looking in a mirror uh, right after I committed my crime, I'm covered in this guy's blood. And I'm looking in a mirror and I'm just like, I hate you. Mm. And, you know, it's like I, I started contemplating suicide at that point and thought about that for the next few months. Luckily, the criminal justice system, you know, took its course, arrested me, brought me in on a fugitive warrant, and, uh, and I was protected from myself. And so, uh, you know, just lost, despondent, broken, spilled out, empty, hating self. Um, I knew I had earned a, a life sentence uh, for murder, and I expected that maybe I'll never get out, maybe I don't deserve to get out. Um, and so, uh, October, 1992, given that life sentence and, and ended up getting remanded to, uh, one of the largest prisons in Texas. And uh, what I encountered was almost 4,000 guys, just like me, perverse caricatures of manhood who demanded respect out of threats and violence. And, and, and it was just a miserable place to be. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you find yourself serving time and how did you um, meet up then with PEP and, and how did you get involved with this organization? You know, it took a, it was quite a while later before I would encounter PEP. I think God, I, I look back at now, look back at it now as God baptized me into prison uh, to bring me to newness of life. And it wasn't a quick back baptism. It took some time. I'll, I'll tell you my first year in prison was just miserable. We're I was on a unit and they fight over everything. Uh, we fight over where you can sit, what TVs, uh, shows you can watch, you know, um, you know, who could fight who, and we riots on the red card. It was just crazy. Um, and about a year, maybe a year and a quarter into my sentence, I had I was depressed. And the things I had coveted for life were stripped away, and I, and I was just empty. And, uh, and a friend of mine had invited me to a prison ministry called Kairos, which is, as you know, Greek for God's special time or God's appointed time. And yes. it certainly was. And so uh, I asked him, I said, Kairos, what's that? And he said, well, for you, what it means is four days of home cooked meals. Mm. I said, well, dude, sign me up because the food <laughs> here is horrible. Sure. And, and so he did. And I went and what I encountered was uh, 42 Christian men, multi-denominational uh, coming in to minister to 42 hand-selected inmates over those four days. And I was just blown away by that experience, Joy. I'd never encountered godly men like that who were so loving, so caring, so encouraging, yet firm and strong, but loving. I mean, that, that was a... I, I, I was poking and prodding and asking questions and, and saying, where do men like you come from? And I was intrigued by them and I was drawn to them. I just never encountered them before. And uh, I 
particularly bonded with a, uh, a Lutheran preacher. He, he won my confidence just talking about some other stuff. And at, to that point, I'd never admitted to anybody I was guilty of my crime. I had lied at trial. I'd lied to my family. I'd even lied to the inmates that I was around, um, even though there's no reason to. And uh, I just couldn't carry that burden anymore, especially not being around men of the light like that. So I pulled him aside and I said, I need to tell you something. And I just broke down and I told mm-hmm. him everything about my crime. And he listened to me so patiently. And when I got it all out, mm-hmm. he looked at me and with tears in his eyes, and he said, Brian, he said, I am so overwhelmed with thanks and appreciation and honor that you would share that with me first. That is huge. And I get how big it is. Now I want to tell you something. I forgive you. And oh my gosh, Joy, I fell apart. I was in pieces. I was snotting and hitching. And, you know, I didn't dream that I would ever hear those words from anybody. And, uh, and he let me pull it back together. And then he looked at me and said, you know, even though I forgive you, Brian, and that's true, um, you need to ask God to forgive you. And guess what? He will. Yeah. And my response to him was, you know, I get that, Keith, but I can't. And he said, I don't understand. Why not? I said, well, look, I know I don't deserve it. I deserve, you know, what I've been given or, or worse. I know that I'll take my medicine. And he literally let out a little laugh. And I thought, that's odd. And he goes, wow, I didn't realize when I came here this weekend, I was going to meet somebody that was smarter than God. And I said, wow, (laughs) I didn't say that. He said, oh, yeah, you sure did. You admitted God would forgive you if you asked him. But of course, you know how to handle this better than he does. Guess what? You don't. And you are never going to have any joy, peace, purpose, love, hope in your life until you let go and give this to him. He knows it anyway. Why are you trying to hold it back? Why are you trying to carry this yourself? You can't. And I, I tried to kind of, you know, counter that. And he goes, Brian, how has this played out in your life? And all of a sudden, I just realized my very best thinking has led to a life sentence for murder. What the heck do I know about living life? Absolutely nothing. So May 28, 1994, I, I let go of all the trash that I was carrying around. I admitted my crimes and various other things to the Lord. And I said, hey, my, my life's in broken pieces. Here you go. Uh, take this, Lord. I'm sorry. It's such a bad deal. You do something with it. I can't. And I found out uh, that day and looking back that God can take broken pieces and turn them into a masterpiece. Mm. Mm. Amen. Amen. Wow. How did you feel after that in the next uh, few weeks, months, years, living into that new reality? I knew something had changed. Now, if you looked at me the next day, you would probably not notice that much of a difference, but I knew something had changed internally. And there were several instances shortly after that where God really confirmed that he was going to be real in my life. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I began, my focus changed. It was no longer myopic. I wasn't looking at me all the time. I started seeing where I could invest in others around me, help others around me. I went back to school. I earned a degree in psychology. Um, I started going to church. I started reading my Bible. I started, you know, investing in that. I went into recovery and I've been in recovery for uh, almost 30 years. And, um, and so I just, I, I realized 
I want to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem, even if I never get out of prison. And so that's what I did. I started filling myself up with positive things around me. And it's interesting, um, you know, they say when the student uh, is ready, the teacher appears. Another inmate uh, would come into my life and he would disciple me for 10 years straight. He was super solid in uh, doctrine and theology. And we lived together. We worked together every day. We would start out the day with 30 to 60 minutes of uh, biblical principles, the foundations of Christianity, how we were applying that in our lives or failing to sometimes. And, and we just processed that together. And so as I was getting poured into, I was pouring out to others. I was leading Bible studies and prayer groups and and uh, I was mentoring people in recovery, and 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 I, and I started finding a real affinity for that, and and I recognized this is a way to make my life worth something. Uh, and uh, the more God poured into me, the more I poured out to others. Wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I love I love this idea of the discipleship that together you were able to really dive into God's word and the purpose that God had for you. And, and yet at that time you had no idea you were still that God still had so much more for you in store. Um, so you hear about PEP mm-hmm. and you applied for it. Is this when you were up for parole or going to be up for parole soon or so I had heard about PEP kind of internally. Uh, uh, PEP had just started. It was about a year or two old. It was still in its infancy. Our founder was starting to recognize uh, the impact that using the vehicle of entrepreneurship uh, was really making an impact on this population. Um, you know, the MA population can see themselves as a small business owner, but they may not see themselves getting out and going to work in a corporate America because of all the rigid policies written against that. So they see opportunity, they see hope in being a small business uh, owner and probably from their survival on the street, they, they know a lot of things about business already. They know about supply chains and risk management, profit margins, marketing, sales, collections, and, and reading people and recognizing opportunities. I mean, they're true entrepreneurs at the heart. So she was doing that, but she started to recognize that she couldn't be in prison every day. And so she needed a set of highly skilled inmate shepherds, if you will, to kind of take over uh, leading the, the, uh, the entourage on the inside. And I was one of those early on. I became a peer educator for PEP and, and we were we were leading class, teaching, um, helping the guys put together their business plan, their pitch. We're doing event orchestration. We were doing almost everything, working seven days a week and loving it. And I, when I first got to see behind the curtain with BP, I'm like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. this is the way for me to apply my background, my experience, my skill sets, my desire to help in a super powerful way. Thank you, Lord. This is it. I have arrived, even if I never get out of prison. Uh, What's interesting about that, uh, Joy, is I got to be a part of it for about three or four months. And then we were going to transfer to a different unit or we were going to a pre-release unit. And they wouldn't let me go because I had too much time to be housed on a uh, pre-release. And so I got shot back to my old unit, back to the jungle. And I was just devastated. You know, I, I got to taste PEP and then I was basically told you can't be a part of it now. 
And the rejection, just being stripped away, my gosh, I cried out to God. I wrestled with him. I'm like, Mm -hmm. why would you let me taste something Mm -hmm. so good Mm -hmm. and then strip it away? I don't understand. Why would you do that to me? It's not consistent with what I know about you. So we wrestled and I would end up doing six, almost seven years in the wilderness before um, I would, I was actually on a different unit. Um, and I came up for parole for my 13th time. I just cleared the 20 year mark. Um, every time preceding, I had been told that, Hey man, you're doing everything just right. Keep it up tonight. This time the conversation changed and the parole commissioner was telling me what parole was going to look like for me mm-hmm. when I got out. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. I'm sitting here realizing, Oh my gosh, I've got a life sentence. This man is telling me I've made parole. And in Texas, at that time, uh, you could make uh, parole on a life sentence. There are certain ones you still can. And and I'm just sitting there going, oh, my gosh. And so at the end, he said, any questions? And I said, yes, sir, I've got one. He said, what is it? And I said, well, um, would you consider letting me out next year? And he looked at me, kind of tilted his head, and he said, I don't understand, (laughs) son. Are you asking me to stay in prison for another year, having done 20? I said, yes, sir. And he said, why? Why would you do that? And I said, well, I would really love to go through the prison entrepreneurship program and develop a business plan that I've got. But the only way I can do it is if you give me a hard release date for next year so I can be housed on that unit. And Joy, he stared at me for what I bet was 60 seconds without blinking or moving a muscle. Wow. And finally, he just looked at me and said, let me look into that. And he gave me exactly what I asked for. I bargained for an extra year in prison to go through PEP, the organization that I now lead. That speaks volumes to the quality of a program that PEP is. So tell us, tell us what PEP is. If I had absolutely no idea, I met you uh, sitting on an airplane and I say, what do you do? What's this organization all about? What's your elevator speech? Prison Entrepreneurship Program recognizes that there are thousands, maybe most of the people who are in prison who desperately want to turn their lives around. They just don't know how. They've been stuck in a cycle of poverty and crime. They've been surrounded by people who are pulling them down. There has been no encouragement. There's been no uh, real hope for a new life. Uh, There are many men in prison sitting in day rooms all over yet today who have come up with ideas and things that they want to do when they get out. And I'll tell you, most of them are what I call delusional solutions. They're not going to happen. They're fanciful. They're pie in the sky. And as soon as they get out and reality slaps them in the face, they realize, I don't even know why I was dreaming that. I need to just go back to doing what I was doing, whether that was selling drugs, stealing, whatever. But we realized early on that using that vehicle of entrepreneurship and a retraining in business basics, coupled with character assessment and development, could really make an impact. And that has proven to be true. Uh, In our 18-year history, our recidivism rate, the rate at which people go back to prison, has averaged 8% over that uh, 18-year history. Uh, Texas, uh, over that time has been right around high twenties to 30% recidivism rate. So at any given time, we're a, a third or less of what theirs is. Sure. Um, and the national rate, uh, for recidivism, about 50% go back within three years. And so making a tremendous impact, but, um, using entrepreneurship and character development has, 
brought so much more fruit. Uh, and I'll give you an example. There's been over 600 businesses started by Second Chance Citizens uh, in PEP. Um, probably in the neighborhood of 20 or 30 had revenues or sales over a million dollars last year. We are bringing talent forward out of a pool of the lost and broken. Mm -hmm. And now even um, Second Chance um, uh, Second Chance employers are willing to consider this labor labor pool as a viable commodity like never before. And I think they're starting to see that there is some real talent in our prisons. It just takes a little bit of extra training, uh, a little bit of extra support and insulation, and they can be tremendous contributors in our society. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation. This was part one of a two-part conversation with Brian Kelly, CEO of PEP, Prison Entrepreneurship Program. If you'd like to learn more about PEP, you can check out their website, pep.org. Or if you would like additional resources, we have so many resources on our website. We would love to share with you for free. You can check that out at thecaringcongregation.com. Look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.